Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with J.T. Waldman. J.T. is a comic book creator and digital designer based in Philadelphia. He's best known for his graphic novel, Megalot Esther, and in 2012, his collaboration with Harvey Picar, Not the Israel My Parents Promised Me, reached the New York Times bestseller list. He contributed to two books that detail the intersection of comic books and Judaism, from Krakow to Krypton and the Jewish graphic novel, as well as the historical anthologies Colonial Comics and the Graphic Canon Volume 1. JT lectures at colleges, universities, and conferences on topics ranging from comic books and religion to visual narratives and midrash. Welcome, JT. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming down. I'm glad I could snag you for a few minutes. Uh, you're here today for, or well, actually you're here for many days um, as part of Tent Children's Literature. Yeah, it's so awesome. Nice to, nice to be able to see you in, in the shtetl, as they say. Yeah, lovely to be here. Thanks uh, for having me. Great. So um, I'm going to just sort of jump right into the conversation. Yeah, let's go. Uh, eager to ask you your thoughts on the intersection of comic books and Jewishness. Oh, <laughs> we only have 18 minutes to talk? <laughs> 18. I'll give you 20. <laughs> okay. I mean, look, it's it's very deep. Um, as many of your listeners probably know, you know, most comic book characters that we're seeing on TV and um, in this big screen have origins, you know, Jewish roots, whether it's Superman or all of the Avengers um, to, you know, smaller TV shows perhaps. But it's really, it's kind of, it's the dialectic of text and image that I think is kind of the most Jewish in mm -hmm. comics, um, and the fact that it requires an active reader. Um, so many, many moons ago, I studied in a yeshiva, and I remember um, one of my professors kind of talking, it was my Bible professor, actually, who was saying how, like, the Bible requires an active reader. If you passively sit there, uh, you know, you're, you're going to miss everything. Um, and, I, and I always thought the comics, the magic of it was that every person reads a comic differently, that, that the, and um, Scott McCloud talks about an understanding comics the magic that's found in the gutter in between panels. And everyone imagines that the way that that unfolds differently, and that's what makes it personal, and that's what makes it kind of individualistic, but yet collective at the same time. Um, so that's kind of, I think, where it fits <laughs> together. But it's, it's this weird mixture. It's this hybrid kind of liminal thing. Is it literature? Is it art? Is it commercial? Is it, is it, is it expressive? Um, so all of those things kind of make comics very Jewish in my mind. So... Uh Let's talk a little bit also about uh, you have from Krakow to Krypton. It's a great title. I didn't come up with it. Okay, <laughs> well, I'm going to give you credit. Yeah, for well, it. it's, it's Ari Kaplan's book. He did an amazing okay. job interviewing, um, you know, all the different um, machers mm -hmm. of the comic book industry uh, and kind of uh, gathering their experiences. And so I ended up illustrating the foreword that Harvey Picar had written, mm -hmm. and that was our first collaboration together, which was, I guess, 11 years ago. Okay. Um, and that was, it was just a four page kind of foray, uh, but it was a great way for us to kind of get to know one another, and it eventually led to an entire book. And it's just, it's such an interesting title because it really does talk about the connection between Jewishness and pop culture. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's right there. You've got, you've yeah, got, Ari's, Ari's a yeah. smart guy. Modern Jewish literature meets pop culture. Um, so tell me a little bit about how you got into all of this. I was a comic book geek growing up, so I was that kid that was doodling in class next to you the whole time, or I was just reading comics after school, riding my bike to the local drugstore with my buddy and you know picking up the latest comic of the X-Men and then going next door to the pizza parlor, grabbing a slice of pizza, and, and then talking about you know, who, you know who would win in an X-Men battle versus the Marauders or whatever other characters were popular at the time. Um, and then probably when I was around 10, 
uh, I saw a comic book and was like, I could draw that. Let me try. And so I just started kind of copying and doodling. Um, and then it just kind of ballooned from there. Um, I actually studied sculpture in college because uh, it got very frustrating because all of my drawing teachers said that I was too um, expressive or it wasn't anatomically correct or it was too stylized. And I just hated that kind of over the shoulder, you're doing it wrong. So mm-hmm. I felt like if I just went to sculpture, it was in a totally different realm. I didn't have to worry about that stuff. And and then as a result of studying sculpture, I think I understood form better. So it's anyone who, who wants to learn to be an illustrator, I really recommend taking sculpting classes. <laughs> uh, it, it really helped me a lot. It, well, the three-dimensional. Yeah, because you have to understand yeah. the 3D if you're going to try and represent it in the 2D. Um, so I, I really like that. I studied painting, and the first time I was told I had to do a painting, um, I hadn't studied color. So I thought, oh, let's just go with black and white. Nothing wrong with that. And, yeah, it was my introduction. Yeah. So I'm curious also to hear your thoughts on why you think the graphic novel is enjoying what I think it's safe to say is a really strong readership um, and a great reception. And fair to say it's no longer considered um, low art. Low art? Low art. I mean, it's it's still an in-between art. Um, it, it is amazing. I mean, I was – the fact that my mom can ask me questions about Daredevil and Luke Cage and Jessica Jones is kind of, still blows my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so that these characters have kind of, um, you know, grown beyond their their original pa- panels that they lived in, and only kind of certain sub genre of a subset of people knew about them, and they've kind of reached larger realms. But that's only just kind of one piece of the comic book world. We kind of get seduced by the superhero part. I think for me, what's really interesting is that there are there are comics and zines and web comics and and interactive weird kind of I mean you look at websites today so many websites and, and mobile apps that we interact with are basically moving comics it's it's images and texts in unison moving in a sequence mm-hmm. um, and there's and there's comics about everything there and, and about economics about uh, you know biographies of different people um, hard sciences social sciences um, you know graphic memoirs uh, the thing that I love about comics is it's it can really be applicable to any world, um, and there's that accessibility. Um, whether or not it's kind of reached the, it's kind of it's kind of crossed the threshold of lowbrow and highbrow. I'm not sure. I mean, you do see comic book art in museums, um, but they're usually you know a very particular group of comic book artists that have kind of reached that level. Um, I really love seeing you know kids making the little handmade zines. Uh, It's the accessibility of it that I think is where it uh, has kind of found its legs. And it isn't just this thing that's just cordoned for boys, uh, you know, of a certain age. Right. Um, And that it can be open for other people, and it's great. Well, it also has sort of, um, you know, the roots in the underground, certainly with, I think, graphic novels. And it allowed people to publish yeah, I mean, look, it, it so there's so many different facets. I mean, the whole underground comic scene from the '60s and that kind of the self-published auteur kind of vibe um, is is one fascinating aspect of kind of comics history. Um, but then you look at like Frederick Wortham and at his work, like who he was a Jewish guy, and so you have this person who, for those of you that don't know, Frederick Wortham wrote *The Seduction of the Innocents*, and it was this book I think in the '50s during the McCarthy era where like he basically was saying that like. Little boys who read comics will end up in jail or homosexual or all of the horrible things that your bubby never wants of your of your son. And it was always kind of geared towards, like, boys. Um, and then the romance comics and, and all of the kind of the non-mainstream things kind of people forgot about. And then it just focused on that one aspect. 
and then everything kind of blew up from there. And so I think post Mouse in '92, winning the Pulitzer, kind of bringing everything to a wider audience. I think the success of Michael Shabin's book, mm-hmm. and then the kind of proliferation of comics through all these other media, TV and film, have shown people that you can kind of, it, it's this it's this wonderful place where you can get a person's point of view, and then it's it's very succinct. Um, you know, it, um, you think about a movie or a TV show, there are hundreds of people involved, and notes from producers and all the other people, but a comic generally is a handful of people, sometimes only one or two. And to get that point of view across and then publish it out to the world, I guess now with social media and Instagram, everyone's a publisher now. But back in the day, getting that on paper and, and distributed was a big deal. Right. Um, and now there's just this proliferation. So I think the problem is kind of finding the quality stuff in mm-hmm. all of the noise and not getting distracted by, you know, the superhero stuff, which there are good superhero stories now, but I'm, I'm not attracted to many. <laughs> so in your work, you collaborate? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. And I've worked on just by myself as well. And how... Talk a little bit about the collaboration. Well, it's like dancing. So it's like every time you dance with a different person, it's a different dance. It's a different choreography. Um, so my work with Harvey was unique to working with Harvey. You know, um, he was a Luddite. Uh, everything I got from him was handwritten. Um, and he didn't have a computer, so he would only call me um, and leave voice messages. <laughs> um, and he would call at all times of day. Um and our, we had kind of like a phone relationship because he lived in Cleveland and I was in Philly. And, and we we've, were in the same physical space, uh, you know, a couple times. Um, but then he passed away during the process of making the book. So that was obviously a very strange endeavor to finish. Um, my first book I worked alone completely. But then I had to rope in other people to help me with the editing of certain parts of the text. Um, currently I'm working on a digital project with um, a professor in the University of Kentucky. Um, who is an academic but doesn't have experience writing and working in comics. So there's a little bit of a learning curve, but there's a certain freshness to the process because it's something that's new to her. Um, So every collaboration is different, I think, and each one is kind of fun in a different way. Yeah, uh, Yeah. I I grew up with somebody who who did that, and I know that it it does take on, um, even if you don't know one another um, and you're doing this long distance, it's still, you know, your picture supports their words. Their words inform your picture. Yeah, you're, there you're, is you're really a, yes, going yes. back and forth. It's and funny. As we're talking about it, we're both moving. Yeah, we're, our <laughs> listeners <is> can't see. <laughs> I, 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 often, like, I, I think dance is a very powerful kind of ex- mode of expression because, in essence, you're using your body as the material and the canvas. So to me, it's very pure. Um, and so I, I use those kind of metaphors a lot when I talk about my work. Um, because I, I would like to get to that purity, but I'm stuck on paper. Like, I, there's there's kind of some movements now. Kind of, I've seen some kind of like comic book performancey type things where they'll have like a person dancing behind a scrim, and then it'll kind of like freeze, and then they'll kind of emerge. I, I find those things really interesting. Um, kind of the multimedia aspects of comics. Huh. It doesn't bug you. No, no, no. I'm not a traditional formalist in any way. Comics can be in any format. It's it's things in sequence, and sometimes there might not be any words. It might be images, or it might just be. I think. I think you can – it'd be interesting if you could even use typography and and use the typography to make shapes and do that in sequence could be considered – I mean, I don't, I don't like to get into the semantics of what is sequential art and what is comics. I'll leave that for other people to decide. But if it's, if it's sticky enough to grab your attention and it's in sequence, mm-hmm. sure, that's cool. Let's do it. Uh, it the, the idea of the type is intriguing. Typography is fascinating, right? Yeah. It's something that, so I had the honor and privilege to meet Will Eisner before he died. Mm-hmm. And I gave him a copy of Maggie Latta Stare. Um, I had like a, a two chapter manuscript of it. And 
um, before he passed away, he actually wrote me on his stationary feedback. And in it, he said, you really should have considered the English typography more. And it was like, uh, you know, arrows to the heart, but it was so like, duh. And ever since then, it's changed my process where now I do all of my layouts and sketches first, and then I go into the lettering. Mm-hmm. So that I, the typography is really a considered embedded part of the kind of the visual hierarchy and the way that the eye moves and, and how it interacts with the illustrations. Um, so it, typography is really important. It's interesting because I think in the old days, um, the old days, that's actually how the comics were constructed. I know this because it runs in my family. Um, and I won't bore our listeners who've heard me talk about this before, but um, watching daily strips come together that was added so it's interesting that Eisner would have suggested that and it, it's true and it's it's changed how I work <laughs> he was right yeah. there's a reason he was the master of the field because <laughs> uh, yeah I have original dailies and you can see where the type fit in um anyway I digress um were your parents but I'm gonna digress again sure uh did you grow up with parents who were uh, comic book readers as children so they were sympathetic nope. but, but they didn't object no, my mom was actually quite good. I went to overnight camp, and I would send her, like, a list of the comics that I was reading, and she would go to the comic book store and hand them over to the people, and then she would send them to me. And, and I remember my camp counselors would, like, basically, I would open up the package, and they would take the comics and be like, I need to read them before you do. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they were they were very supportive of me reading them, but they, they didn't understand it. They were just like, oh, that's what kids do. And then I started drawing, and I was, like, petrified of ever sharing my, my, my work with anybody. So I would, you know hide it from everyone and no one would ever see it and it was a big deal when I started showing my artwork to people um, well it makes you very vulnerable it's super vulnerable you're a high school student and, and like it's the only place I really felt safe was like on that you know in my sketchbook and to show that to you it's, it's like showing your journal having your palms out you know yeah um, exactly so I think but that's what's so funny now is that they know like that the fact that they can reference and talk about these characters that you know, I've, I've known about Matt Murdock and Daredevil and these things for 30-plus years, and now they're talking to me about him. And I'm like, well, that Matt Murdock isn't the same Matt Murdock that I knew because I, it's hard because in TV they're compressing these characters over, you know, 40-plus years of storylines. And so I kind of have a much more long view, I guess, of some of these characters. So it's harder for me to enjoy some of those, the newer kind of uh, manifestations of things because it's not matching my imagination but that's cool. Are you? Do you work on projects um, sort of simultaneously? It depends on the project. Um, it really depends on kind of how um, intensive the project is and the scope. Um, so, like my first book, I only worked on Megaleta Sterwa. It was it consumed my life. Um, with Not the Israel, my parents promised me it was a little stop and go. I had a full time job when it started. Uh, then Harvey passed away, and it was like, oh, I, I need to really. I need to put all my energy in this because now I'm kind of like Heber Kadisha. Like I need to, I need to honor this person and I need to fulfill his final acts. Um, and so nothing came in within my trawl within that time. Um, right now I'm doing lots of little short stories. Sometimes it's better to kind of work small instead of big all the time. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, I'm kind of like, I've got fingers in a bunch of different pies right now and it's kind of cool. I'm, I'm scared that it's, um, you know, diverting my attention and I'm kind of I tend to kind of really focus in on things, um, so I think pretty soon one project will kind of start, kind of taking more of my bandwidth. Well, I would think that you sort of inhabit 
something in order to yeah if you you have to but then look i have a life i'm not always making comics so there's a certain sense where you have to start learning how to bifurcate yourself a little bit and i would love to you know be fully submerged in my work but i don't and i think that was why esther worked because i was so i was younger i didn't have a family i I didn't have really a lot of i had a bunch of part-time jobs so when you have a bunch of part-time jobs and and i was maybe in the gig economy before it was called that you have a little bit more flexibility um and and you know i wasn't obliged to have health insurance so like things like that i'm now i'm an adult now so i have to make these considerations so it doesn't allow me to focus in on one thing if that makes any sense oh it totally makes sense it's called reality yeah yeah but it informs your work yeah and and Look, I, I, I want to get my stuff out there. I have so many ideas. I mean, I have stories from when I was 16 all the way through stuff that I thought of this morning. Um, it's just a matter of which idea kind of gets to the surface and captures my attention enough to keep me going and get it out there. Which leads me to ask you, you so I mentioned you're here for uh, TENT, uh, Children's Literature, and TENT are programs of the Yiddish Book Center. They're week-long workshops. What drew you to apply, and what's your sort of Takeaway today. I mean, you've been here for three days, two, right? Two, two days. days. Well, okay. I guess, well, well yeah, I don't you're know on my whatever. Two and a half days. Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, it's it's a little bit misleading because, you know, I, I got um, I was encouraged to come here um, by members of the PJ Library, mm-hmm. um, and because they had said they were expanding the scope of this program, which I think has a little bit of a slight misnomer in being calling children's literature because I'm in a sub cohort of people that are working in basically comics and kind of author illustrators. Um, so there's kind of three subgroups of our cohort. Um, and But for the last two days, it's really been focused on the children's literature and the kind of the Yiddishkeit stuff. And most of my work is not Yiddish-based, and I don't really – most of my work is pretty adult in content. Um, so people, other participants have been like, what are you doing here? <laughs> um, and I think it's more about um, having an opportunity to meet other people who are doing similar things. I kind of liken being a comic book artist as kind of being like a – in Israel, it's kind of – it's called a lonely soldier. It's like the soldiers that – like Americans who maybe make aliyah and have to serve in, in the army. They're, they're kind of alone soldiers, and they kind of get co-opted by and adopted by other families. So all comic book makers are more or less lonely soldiers in their field. So coming together in a room with seven other people that are, are working on comics to make them, you know, to birth them, in essence, to bring them out is always kind of invigorating. Um, and I don't necessarily know exactly what I'm what I'm getting out of it. It's more about sharing where I am in, in a current project, this project that I mentioned that I'm working on with the, um, with Janice Fernheimer uh, from the University of Kentucky um, uh, that's um, a digital first comic. So I'm, I'm in a place where I'm, I'm in an early stage of a story, of a project, um, trying to get feedback. Um, and maybe there's something here that can influence it. It's about kind of having open palms and being open to inspiration and not kind of focused in. I'm still on that kind of gathering stage. It makes sense. I mean, two and a half days into what is an intense week-long program. Yeah, there's been a lot of amazingly in, like informed people talking about things I know nothing about. <laughs> um, and then you realize, you know, everyone knows like a little bit about all these really interesting things. And you might know something else over here and... And I just, it's, I'm, I'm in that absorption phase. Um, and I, and meeting other people who approach things and have a different practice and, and learning from them and, you know, just kind of getting out of your own little bubble. Right. That's really my motivation. It's all, it's all good. Yeah. It's always interesting to both watch participants and have conversations with them during all sorts of different educational programs that we have here. But then 
all of the sudden five days in, if I spoke to you on Friday before you left, yeah, I'd have a totally different totally answer. Totally to different <laughs> answer. And it's fascinating because I think that this connects you with Yiddish and Jewish roots. This is obviously a construct that's a very Jewish form of storytelling. Yeah. And so it'll be interesting to see how how all of your different ideas begin to sort of seep and percolate. Yeah. I mean, I'm on the journey too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where it's going to go. And I think it is kind of having that faith that something will come out of it of value, but focus on where, like, I've learned enough now. Follow my interests. If I think something is interesting or I see something that's cool and if it, like, so for example, I'm working on a project now um, about the role of um, Jews, African Americans, and immigrants in the bourbon industry. And um, it's based on oral histories that we're gathering, and it's going to be a multimedia project that will be based off of those oral histories, and it'll be digital first. And so many of the primary sources, the oral histories, you know, only go back to the early 1900s, but our story starts right after the Civil War. Um, so I'm looking for references and things from this era from like the 1860s until the 19, until 1900. And most of the collection here are books from the 1900s on. So even here, there's, there's like a gap. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I met with the bibliographer yesterday to try and kind of like understand, well, okay, where, 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 tell me about, the, take me on a visual tour of this ar- massive archive that you have here, this amazing collection. And he was just pulling all these things. And these images were amazing of artists that I love, uh, William Groper, mm-hmm. and um, people that I, I, I just have never been exposed to and didn't know about. Maybe one woodcut that I've found of William Groper will find its way into inspiring a particular panel that I haven't even imagined yet. But the fact that now Groper's on my radar, that's the kind of that's kind of how I work. I just pick and pull, and then the right thing will appear when it's ready. Has he shown you um, the big stick? No. Well, you uh, oh, see, everyone's got something to show me. <laughs> oh, you are in for quite a treat. Okay. I mean, it's editorial graphic, uh, you know, uh, illustration, uh, but incredible. When was it made? Uh, they were probably, I'm going to embarrass myself now, but it would have been, I think, right around the turn of the century. Tell me tell me, and the uh, listeners about the big stick. Okay. It was um, a weekly, and again, I don't want to get into the weeds here and, and it, where I don't belong, but um, weekly news, sort of newspaper broadside um, and it had incredible editorial art um, mm-hmm. that was just wild. Cartoons, political cartoons, commentary, everything. But the illustration is just like right. every, yeah. After this, that's After this, you're going back, <laughs> back upstairs and we're going to find those uh, yeah, bound so it, volumes. And that's what's so amazing. It's like constantly, there's so much, there's so much art out there. There's so many different ways to depict the world and represent even the same thing in a totally different way. And I just, I love seeing everything that's out there. Um, and so currently you're working on this project. Um, yeah, and- it's it, we've been working on it for about five years, doing a lot of just research. But we're really start. We're, I'm actually starting to draw things now, which is really exciting. Um, it's called America's Chosen Spirit. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're actually going to be attending a residency in two weeks at the University of Colorado, um, specifically for pairing scholars and artists together to bring archives to life. So the fact that I'm here two weeks before and one, you know, in this amazingly dense archive is, is I'm soaking that up. It's um, very it's cool. exciting. Yeah, it very is exciting. exciting. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It'll be fun to watch sort of what the results of this are. Yeah. And um, I will let you go because I think you have a dinner. Oh, yum yum. Yes. <laughs> Thanks again. Thanks everybody. Bye.
You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. My name is Sylvia Peterson, Education Program Manager at the Center. For more information about this podcast and to subscribe, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. While you're there, I recommend listening to Episode 69, Aaron Lansky's 2013 conversation with Mark Cohen, biographer of the late, great comedian Alan Sherman. Until next time, be well, be healthy, Zeigesund. Gesund.